Hey there, I'm Brittany, and welcome to the Cape Cod Church Podcast. If you'd like to learn more about us, you can visit our website at capecodchurch.com. In the meantime, we hope you enjoy this message in our current series. Well, good morning. I sort of like that intro music. It's got, it sounds cooler than I actually feel. Man, I was listening to Britt make her announcement about the upcoming relationship series and the interview, and I hadn't really thought it through when I said yes until she said that. And I thought to myself, I am 100% going to get a list of questions before I show up, making sure I vet that out. Well, man, we have been walking through this since the beginning. Last week, uh, we kind of dove into the deep end talking about sexuality and marriage and friendship. And the week before that, we, we began by talking about this idea of whole people. How God intended us to be. The moment we were made before we were self-conscious. Before we were anxious and angry or addicted. Before shame or guilt. And how it is that we long to be back there. What we've done is we've gone back to the beginning to find out what we are made for. September of 2020, somebody put out a little, a, 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 a meme that caught on and has not given up. It's taken on all kinds of looks, but in September of 2020, it started out like this. It, it said, how it started, how it's going. You've probably seen those. Shows a picture of how it started and then a picture of the current state. It actually started off as a way for someone to announce an engagement. They showed a picture of a text message, how it started. And then it showed a picture of the engagement, how it's going. That's sort of what we're doing, how it started and how it's going. But here's the thing, uh, in, by October of 2020, this thing had caught on and people had started creating their own. And as the internet does, it went dark fast. How it started and how it going started off with beautiful pictures and then ended with not so beautiful chaos. And for four years almost now, people have been sharing their own images. How it started, how it's going. It can feel a bit like that when you're reading through the story of Genesis. How it started, what we were made for. And then how it's going, and we just see the rolling nature of brokenness in our world and in our lives. But if you look close, you will also find the beautiful picture of what God is doing in the world. The story of grace. I think we actually find it in the next chapter. We've looked at chapters 1 and 2 and 3. Genesis chapter 4 is a 
somewhat famous story. Now, you may be brand new to church. You're just here, and you're not sure if you believe in the Bible. You're even less sure about churches and pastors, and you don't know where Jesus fits all into the story. You may not know the Old Testament from the New Testament, but there's there's a pretty good chance somewhere along the line you've heard the names of Cain and Abel. (laughs) You may know parts of the story, but how the story got started is important. They're the first two children that we know of. It's clear by the context of the story. They're not the only people in the world, and it doesn't try to explain that to us. It just tells us that Adam and Eve had a son, and his name was Cain. He was the oldest child with all the rights and privileges that come to the firstborn, especially in the culture of that day. And then Abel comes along. And then there comes a moment where it says that Cain and Abel had kind of found their ways into their own work. Cain was a a farmer, and and he took care of the land, and he found out how to get from the land its best fruits. And Abel, was he took care of the animals. And those two things together made for a livable society. And so one was farming, and the other was raising animals. And and then it tells us, and it doesn't provide a lot of context, it just says that they, they brought their offerings to the Lord. In other words, they brought as an act of worship, they were going to bring something of what they had to God as an act of worship. And it tells us that, uh, that Cain brought some of, uh, of his harvest, and Abel brought uh, some of his animal. He, they brought them as a gift. Now, It doesn't tell us why or even how, but it says that Abel's gift of this animal was received. It was welcomed. But somehow Cain, the older brother's gift of the the harvest, was not accepted. We don't know what that means. Some have theorized that it was meant to be a blood offering and, you know, the sacrifices of the Old Testament would start here. And maybe so. It doesn't say that, but it could be. It could also be the beginning of, of, of God's upending the birth order. And all through the Old Testament, we see these key moments where God doesn't pick the most likely oldest, but he picks the younger son and elevates him. It could have been that. We don't know. We don't even know how they knew it was rejected. Maybe the land stopped bringing forth a good harvest and Cain was angry because he thought he had done what was right and it didn't get the result. We don't know. We just know that he knew his gift had somehow been rejected. But here's what we do know. (laughs) We know what happened. We know it didn't go well. Let me read to you that story. Genesis chapter 4, verse 6, picking up there, it says, God will ask Cain these clarifying questions. Here's the first one. He says, why are you so angry? The Lord asked Cain, why do you look so dejected? Hmm. 
He said, you'll be accepted if you do what is right, but if you refuse to do what is right, watch out. Sin is crouching at the door, eager to control you, but you must subdue it and be its master. And here it comes. One day Cain suggested to his brother, let's go out into the fields. And while they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother, Abel, and killed him. That's it. it that, that's, the, that's the whole of the recounting of the first murder story in the Bible. And then in verse 9, it says, Afterward, the, the Lord asked Cain, Where is your brother? Where is Abel? And Cain's brazen response comes back. I don't know. I don't know, Cain responded. Am I my brother's keeper or guardian? And the Lord asked one last question in verse 10. The Lord said, what have you done? The implication here is no. The consequences of what you have done, Cain, you see, the, the, world has, the world has gone bad. We saw it a chapter before with Eve and Adam and their choice. And now it's spread to their children and the results, they're predictable and they're bad. It's just, it flowed right in. A nature of sin rolling into their lives. And it's everywhere today, isn't it? Man, it's hard to go anywhere. About four months ago now, the very first day of October, I'd gotten a jury summons. You'd think I could get out of this stuff. I mean, really, do you want me on the jury? But it wasn't just any jury, it was grand jury. I don't even really know what that is. Honestly, I, I must have slept through that civics course. So I showed up at court, Barnesville Superior Court. <laughs> we're all sitting in the same boat. There's about 50 of us, and we're just wondering, what's this all about? And they're picking jurors, picking jurors, picking jurors, and, oh, Mr. Feldot. Any reason you can't say, ah, ah, ah no. You're in. I'm like, what does that even mean? What does it even mean? I walk to the room with all of the others who've been found guilty, I mean, found to, to on the jury, and, and we're all sitting there, and we're just sort of like, does this mean we're in? I think it means we're in. And they ended up with about 23 of us, and they walked back in, and they said, uh, come back Wednesday. I raised my hand. How, how long? And they were like, uh, Wednesday and Friday. Every Wednesday and Friday for three months. I just finished. Really? And I thought to myself, is there that much crime on Cape Cod? <laughs> If you're not familiar, Superior Court is where 
the bad stuff goes. District court gets everything that's sent to the local house of corrections, two years and under. But if it's more than that, they send it to superior court. But here's the, the rule in, in our land. You, you can't send someone to trial at superior court until you get a grand jury indictment. In other words, a jury of your peers, 23 of us, has to look at the evidence, no defense attorney, just the evidence from the prosecutor, and we have to decide if there's a likely chance that this happened and you should be put on trial. <laughs> So over three months' time, I was a part of a group that heard 50 cases of the worst stuff. Goodness. I mean, after the first day, I thought that every day, one, two, three, sometimes cases would go on for a few weeks and you'd hear a little bit here and a little bit there. 50 cases. And I, I would find the rhythm work like this. I'd go Wednesday and I'd change my work schedule around so I could do some message work on Monday and my head was pretty clear then and then I'd do some more on Thursday. So I was there on Wednesday and then Thursday working on a message and then back in Friday. And I just found that by, by, the, end of, by the end of Friday, I get home Friday night and I was just, I was exhausted. I didn't, I didn't, I didn't notice it at first because it's not physical work. And, and I just discovered all day Saturday, I was just, I was just like, my soul was recuperating. And I just found that we were sitting there for hours listening to testimony, watching video testimony, sometimes from body cams, sometimes from witness testimony. And it was, it was heartbreaking. And I just found myself thinking, this can't be true. This, did this really happen? And sometimes they would, they would bring a case and they would walk out and we would bring an indictment. Then they'd walk back in and they'd say, we couldn't tell you before, but this is a, this is a repeat offense and we'd like to, we want to bring an indictment for repeat. And I'm like, they did it before. And, and you're just, I mean, it's just heavy. And I mean, honestly, when I got home Friday, I mean, there were no date nights for three months, folks. Nobody wanted to hang out with me on Friday night. Soul recuperating on Saturday. And I think part of it's just the realization, the brokenness that's all around us. And that's what, it's, that's what it's saying here. In fact, right in the middle, it says in, in verse 7, it says, watch out. Sin is crouching at the door. You get that picture? He says, hey, 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 Cain, Cain. Watch out. It's, it's sin is crouching at your door. And it's like a, it's, it's a, the, the literal translation that is at the tent flap. It's crouching there, right? It's like a, it's like a lion who's just, it's lying in wait. Listen, this isn't like a, sin isn't like a rock that you trip over. It says it's like a lion crouching at your door. And I'm not sure we get that. 
I think we, 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 treat, we treat sin like it's a, a domesticated cat. Like, oh, it's, it's not that, it's not that bad. I'm just going to. And we let it into our house and we, we feed it a little bit because we think we can control it. And, it. and it slips into our lives. And the Lord describes it. He says, Cain, man, it's like crouching at your door. And it wants to kill you. Watch out. Watch out. But of course, we know what happened. Verse 10 says what the Lord said. What have you done? Listen. Your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. <laughs> your, your brother, like, it's crying out for justice. Your brothers, I told you, it was crouching at the door. What have you done? And he says, your brother's blood cries out for justice. It wants to be set right because, because inside every one of us is a nature, a sin nature that's drawn to that crouching lion. But inside every one of us is a God-shaped part that longs for justice. We just want to see the world made right. And when we see injustice, something in us rises up and says, that's not right. And we want it set to right. Justice cries out. I went into jury duty thinking, man, once you're in, you're like, all right, what's this going to be like? I was thinking my debating hat on. Like we're going to have, after every case, they're going to be these great, we're going to be debating, we're going to go into, you know, private session, what you do, and, and we're all going to be debating the merits. And then I start thinking about the political divides in our world, and I said, this is going to be wild. People all over the map. People that you want to drop the hammer, and people that want to let it go. Boy, was I wrong. Missed it completely. It turns out people want justice. And when they see something wrong, when 23 people see something wrong, they're not rendering a final verdict. They're just saying, should it go to trial? 50 cases, let's say 20 jurors on average, just to do simple math. 
That's a thousand votes. Thousand times the hand raised to indict or not indict. You know how many times someone raised their hands to say no to an indictment? Four. I don't mean that we voted four down. I mean there were four hands raised over three months out of 1,000 hand raises. I was shocked. I'll be honest, I was one of the four. Details don't matter, and I guess I'm not allowed to share them anyway, but it turns out there's a part of us that just, when we see something wrong, we want it to be made right. It's in us. When we see injustice, when we see brokenness, we just want it to be made right. Verse 11 says, Now you are cursed and banished from the ground which has swallowed your brother's blood. No longer will the ground yield you good crops, no matter how hard you work. From now on, you will be a homeless wanderer on the earth. You might be a little bit surprised at that. It's not exactly what we expected. The old eye for an eye. Life for a life. Doesn't, it doesn't happen. No, he says you're, you're cursed and banished. In the, no longer will the ground yield good crops for you. You will be a homeless Wanderer, wayward. It's the, the, the word here is the, the, the word for, for a twisted road. It, he's saying your, your life has taken a twist. You, you, the, the pathway that you were intended for, you're not going to be able to walk. It's a consequence of your decision. It's the cost of justice. You're going to be a wanderer. Your path is twisted. Verse 13, Cain replied to the Lord, my punishment is too great for me to bear. You've banished me from the land and from your presence. You have made me a homeless wanderer. And anyone who finds me will kill me. He says, I, I, I won't have any family to protect me. I won't have a, a home. I, I. And then he just says, he says, I can't bear it. Now, it doesn't seem like the implication here is that, that, that he's just fearing for his life. It's that he... He feels the weight of the consequence coming down on him. He sees what he's done and how he has forever changed the trajectory of his life. He said, I can't bear it. It's just, it's just too much. And right there, we see the tension of justice. Inside every one of us 
is a peace that cries out for it. And there's a peace that realizes we can't carry the consequence of it. Our own actions, our own sin and and the consequence of it and the judgment of it. We want justice, but we can't we can't bear it up when the justice comes home to our house. And he just can't bear it. That's how it started and how it's going. But it's not how it ended. Verse 15, the, the Lord replied, No. Cain had said, I can't bear it. Anyone who finds me will, will kill me. I can't. I, And then the Lord does what we don't expect. He says, no. No. For I will give a sevenfold punishment to anyone who kills you. Then the Lord put a mark on Cain to warn anyone who might try to kill him. So Cain left the Lord's presence and settled in the land of Nod, east of Eden. If you read the rest of it, you'll see that he had a family, grew his family, built a city. It doesn't, it doesn't quite make sense. But then, then again, neither did the fig leaves the chapter before. If you eat of that, you'll surely die. And it was true, but not exactly in the way they expected. And God in his grace comes down and in this beautiful picture says that he, he weaves them clothes out of fig leaves. And then a chapter later, as Cain is just crushed under the weight of what he's done, God steps in. And he says, Cain, I'm going to protect you. Cain says, I can't, I, I can't carry it. He doesn't say, I don't deserve it. He just says, I can't carry it. And God steps in and says, let me carry some of it for you. I'm going to protect you. And the story of grace begins to blossom through the story of the Bible. That in the tension of justice, what we crave and what we can't stand, God shows up and he gives grace. Cain, I'm going to protect you. I'm going to carry some of this weight for you. That's what God does. You see, the Old Testament is this 
giant narrative of God chasing after his people, holding up the picture of what's best and beautiful while giving people grace in their worst, calling them back, pointing them to the best until we get to Jesus, who's the picture of of grace, who brings brings it all together so he can say, this is my best, follow me. And he holds up a picture of what's best, And then he gives us grace, forgiveness in our worst. There's a verse. I want to finish with it. In Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 24, it's looking back at this, talking about Jesus. And it says, you have come, talking about us, you and me, you have come to Jesus the one who mediates the new covenant between God and people and to the sprinkled blood which speaks of forgiveness. Jesus, on the cross, shed his blood so that once and for all we could have the gift of grace, forgiveness. But watch what it says, which speaks of forgiveness instead of crying out for vengeance like the blood of Abel. Listen, the blood of Abel Without Jesus, all we are left with is crying out for justice and we can't bear it ourselves. But Jesus, Jesus steps into the picture and says, listen, you can't bear to live in a world where there's only justice. You'll crave it and crave it and crave it until it shows up at your door. And then you'll realize it's crushing. And through the life and death and resurrection of Jesus, we find grace forgiveness for our very, very worst. Some of you have heard me talk about it before. My earliest preaching opportunities as a young teenager in our youth group was at the Springfield Rescue Mission. It's still going on today. Right down in the heart of Springfield in the toughest sections of town there is a a rescue mission multi-story building they've moved it since they built a casino on top of it that's another story this multi-story building and they had a, a, a residential sober house program that took care of the upper floors. So if you were, if you were looking to, to get clean and to change your life and to look for a new way, man, they were, they were there. And on the upper floors, you had a place to live and a program to work through. And I know many people in our church have either come through a sober home, you work in a sober home, they're doing great, great work. But they had this sober homes up top and this program. But on the first floor, they, they had a, a, a dining hall, a kitchen, and, 
this little converted breezeway that they turned into a chapel. And every night they would serve dinner and they'd have chapel. And here's how it worked. Anyone, regardless of condition, regardless of level of inebriation, could come for dinner. Dinner started with chapel. So you'd come in, you'd come to chapel, and me and my youth pastor and my best friend Kevin, who's now the pastor of that church, we would, we would show up. One of us would lead music. The other would preach. Let me tell you something. That's a tough audience. You had to go to chapel if you wanted to get dinner. But you could just show up. But here was the thing. Most of the people coming were homeless. And I didn't, I was a young kid, probably 13 when I started going. And I didn't fully understand. But unless you were sober, you couldn't stay overnight. You weren't allowed to go upstairs. And they knew. Those of you who work in it know that it doesn't, that, that, that sin is crouching at the door and you let that in and it's a, it's a destructive force for everybody up there. I look back at that now and I thought, man, what a beautiful picture. Come. I have, I have this image in my mind of, of a chapel service and a, a guy sitting as I was walking down the aisle, a guy sitting on this left side, there was an old couch and he was leaning over and he had these white bandages with blood coming through him. Barely, barely awake, but knowing this is what you do before you get dinner. I look back at it now and I see, I see a group of people just committed to serving that city by pointing to the best, what's possible, and at the same time, giving the grace of a free meal, a hug, a welcome point in a new direction, and through it, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of people have found a new way. That's what grace does. It points to Jesus' very best while giving us a little bit of grace, the grace of forgiveness for our worst. Maybe you're here and you've just been kind of on the periphery with Jesus. What do I do with him? This way of Jesus feels, man, it's costly. I'm afraid I might have to give up this or give up this or give up this. But you see the beautiful picture, the whole picture that he's pointing to and offering to. And you discover that it's his grace that makes it possible. The grace of forgiveness. And I don't know your story, and I don't know what brought you here, and all it took to get you to this moment, but I wonder if there's somebody who's just right there.
And you would say with Cain, I just can't bear it. And you would see in the grace and forgiveness of Jesus Christ exactly what you need. I love Romans 10 that says that when you or I, and I'm paraphrasing, when a man or a woman believes in their heart and confesses with their mouth, it's made unto salvation. it's, It's a moment of faith where grace once and for all invades our life in the form of forgiveness. And I'll know your story. I know some of them. I've sat with some of you when you've prayed and made that decision. I've heard others give testimony. I've saw people walk through starting point, wrestling, wrestling, getting to the end and making that step of faith. But maybe today's your day. You're just ready to accept the gift of grace that is Jesus Christ. I want to give you the chance to do that. Would you bow with me? Our heads bowed and our eyes closed. Just a a moment of of privacy where you can talk quietly with God. If you sense that he's speaking to you, calling you, maybe you felt the weight of justice, the consequence of choices, and you long for the grace of Jesus. He offers it freely. And I would invite you to pray something like this. Dear God, you know me. And you know everything about me. Every sin, every secret, every struggle. I confess it all. And I invite you into my life to be my Savior, my Lord, the King of my life. I want to live fully for you. In Jesus' name.